This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Welcome to the Liverpool.com podcast. We are live. Please do not swear. I am Dan Morgan. I am joined this week by Christian Walsh and Joel Rabinovitz. Gentlemen, I hope you're well. Um, plenty to discuss in Liverpool life at the minute. Um, a lot more good news over the past week than bad. And by God, we've had some bad over recent weeks. Um, but today we're going to do something different. It's the end of the year, or sort of. It's coming towards the end of the year. And so we're going to look at 2020 in terms of Liverpool and the Premier League and awards around the Premier League. And to do that, Chris, you've been running a Player of the Year um, competition on Reach Sport across all networks. And you have done this, um, which is still running, I believe, over the next week or so. Yeah, it finishes on Wednesday at midnight. So basically, Wednesday's your final chance. Okay, so uh, give the the listeners, watchers, uh, an overview of, of how it's gone and, and what you've been doing. Yeah, so the reason we did it, I suppose, is is ultimately, you know, 2020 is a year that none of us will will really ever forget. Um, but not just because of what's been happening off the pitch, but also, you know, on it. Liverpool became Premier League champions for the first time um, in 30 years. And it's been a bit of a, a wild year anyway, you know, away from Liverpool as well. So we decided to sort of um, combine, I suppose, the, the, the two biggest sort of cornerstones of of football coverage in this country and that's sort of our local brands as in Liverpool Echo, Manchester Evening News, Newcastle Chronicle, Football London, Liverpool.com, everyone across our network and then also of course the most important part of all and that's the fans. So our journalists across all of the network, um, they basically fired across their nominations. We made a seven-man shortlist uh, of which there are four Liverpool players on there and now it's basically up to an open vote uh, for everybody um, to to get to get voting and um, pick pick the winner of, of the inaugural fans football of the year. There's also uh, I'm not sure if there are any people watching this who aren't Liverpool fans, but if you are not a Liverpool fan, you can vote for your player of the year for any other club. So you can vote for your Fulham, your Everton, your. Chelsea, your Crystal Palace. Of course, Liverpool's also there. Well, there's a four-man shortlist for that as well, which was chosen by Echo correspondent Paul Ghost. Um, but ultimately, the same four players that Ghost chose are the same four that our network chose for the overall award. So those four are um, Mohamed Salah, Virgil van Dijk, uh, Jordan Henderson and Sadio Mane. And the other three in the overall award uh, is Marcus Rashford, Kevin De Bruyne and Jack Grealish. Yeah, we're going to discuss those now um, in different forms. So, obviously, you know the format, and please get over and vote uh, any which way you can. Like Chris says, it's got until midnight on Wednesday. Uh, the seven-man shortlist, Joel. I think, firstly, it's interesting to sort of discuss how we vote, how we judge a player's importance to a club in general. You know, I think whenever we do this, it's it's almost certainly a club at the top. Um and now and again, you'll get a success story from a club at the bottom of someone who's sort of dragged someone away from relegation or whatever. But that tends to be a manager if there is one of those stories present. But there is, there are the stories that you never get to see. And, and there are the sort of supporters who can tell you that, you know, for instance, James Ward-Prowse's importance to Southampton is massive on a week-to-week basis. And I think it's important to sort of remember those players, isn't it, as well as sort of the headline grabbers in, in all of this. Yeah, I think someone like Grealish being on there is interesting um, 
because I don't think anyone can make a reasonable argument to say he's been better than Salah or Mane or De Bruyne over the calendar year per se. But given kind of what he's achieved within the context of Aston Villa, who at one point, quite late on really after Project Restart, looked pretty destined to go down, wouldn't have stayed up without him. And then the level he's gone on to this season, um, I was completely expecting him to be snapped up by one of the big clubs uh, in the summer. Amazed someone like Man United didn't really go in for him with a big offer when the Sancho thing didn't happen. Um, and yeah, for him to sign that new deal there and, and kick on like he has, I think he's been one of easily one of the players of the season uh, so far. Um, we obviously saw it against Liverpool. It was unbelievable that day. Um, yeah, his game has come on so much this year. So it's nice to see someone like that included. The other thing that stood out to me when I first saw that list, I was a little bit surprised seeing Rashford there as the United player over Fernandez, um, just because of the impact he's had since coming in in January. Fernandez for me, would have been the, the obvious kind of United player. I suppose with Rashford, was a lot more beyond the pitch, like you say, um, in terms of his all-round influence and how he makes supporters feel, um, which feeds into that. He's obviously a brilliant player as well. Um, but yeah, if it was a name that I, I was kind of surprised that wasn't on there as well out, outside of them, was uh, Son as well. Um, I think particularly this season has been, yeah, Spurs' standout player along with Kane, obviously. Um, but I think the difficult thing with all of this, I'm sure we'll come on to, is this the entire year is difficult to assess how good players have been because you've got that kind of weird pre-COVID period. Then there's the project restart period and then you've got this season so far. So there's almost like three segments to try and compare and bring together. It's a really good point, Chris, isn't it? I mean, you, you, it's hard enough in general just splitting uh, something like this over two seasons, for example, or you know, the back half of one season and the first half of another a classic case for that might be Aubameyang, you know, someone who finishes one season excellently and then just disappears off the, the face of the earth, the next one. But I think Joel's right with Son. He was one that surprised me too in terms of players who aren't on there. Absolutely, it's difficult. I think when we put the votes out to our network of journalists and writers initially to, to get this shortlist, we all asked to pick, you know, five... Um, Five nominees, you know, from first to fifth, and I, I think both of you gents did that as well. Um, it, it was hard because I think, as you say, we sort of said to, to everybody, look, you could define footballer however you want to define footballer. It can be who's the most important to their team, and that's where, for example, Grealish got one of my votes because I genuinely think without Aston Villa, um, without Grealish, sorry, Aston Villa go down yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. Mm. Um, but again, it's maybe a little bit different this season. He's absolutely fantastic, but Villa have got a really good team around him now in the sense of Barkley. I know he's injured at the moment. Watkins looks really good. They've got a really strong defence up until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Rashford, you know, again, I don't think anyone would ever have him necessarily as the top five footballers on ability over the past 12 months but what he's done off the pitch is, is more than worthwhile recognition um, which is why he he made my top five as well and as you say with sort of somebody like Son I think that I think the, the thing with someone like Son is that he's so he's so under the radar good I think it's really hard to distinguish what would necessarily make him better than one of these seven either off the pitch or on the pitch I think it's also an interesting point that that you've raised there in terms of, you know, it's hard with two seasons, but basically we're sort of dealing with three at the moment. Mm. We're dealing with that January to March when it was normal. And then we're dealing with the post, the project restart. And now we're dealing with this season, which 
to be honest, isn't it's a bit of a weird season as well because of the lack of pre-season preparation, because of any any real sort of lead in time, the, the, the short turnaround, and the fact that now games are coming thick and fast. It's really hard to assess. I mean, if you were to, if I was to ask one of you guys now who's in the, the, the run for player of the season for 2020-2021, I think we probably all come up with different answers because it's just, it, it's such a, a wild season where one week Harry Kane looks like he's he's become you know, Lionel Messi incarnate, whereas, you know, the next the next week it's, it's, it's Mo Salad again. So I think it's a really difficult year to judge and I think this is why it was a really interesting year to begin doing this because, you know, Somebody like Son, for example, has probably probably been as solid as anyone over the course of those three segments of the year, if you will. It's just that, has he got that, up until maybe the past couple of months, has he really got that defining feature, that defining moment, that defining attribute to his game? It looks like he started to bring goals to his game. Um, he's obviously second top scorer at the moment with 10 goals. But was it enough to, to, to sort of turn people's heads? He was quite high up on the voting. Um, you know, we'll sort of reveal the top 15 when the results come out on Monday the, 30, uh, the 21st of December. But, you know, Son was was one of the top 10. So he was he was in with a shout of getting to the shortlist. Uh, it would have been interesting to see if he was on the vote because obviously recency bias kicks in. And I think at the moment he's probably the best player in the Premier League. But, um, yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, because Kane's there, does song, you know, do they split the vote a little bit? And I think that will probably happen. It, it, it's really interesting looking at the Tottenham specific votes because uh, without giving too much away, it's pretty tight between those two at the moment because you, you, you either appreciate what Son does and you think he's really important, or you look at Harry Kane and think, well, he's the main man, he's central, the way he's readapting is really important. So it's it's fascinating how people, you know, define, you know, best footballers. Yeah, not like Harry Kane to claim something that isn't his. Um, Joel, in terms of who has surprised you this year, I mean, that's a very another open-ended question. I mean, are the players on there who is, or is the, the players not on there who, who is in general over the calendar year disappointed you? Is the, are the players who, you know, it's, it, it's another hard one again, isn't it? You know, you can sort of quantify this with a player who's had a move, i.e. Diogo Jota, now looks on a different level to what he did as a, as a Wolves player at the back half of of sort of nineteen twenty. So yeah, I think I think it's it's a real sort of it's a sort of reminder that a calendar year is is starkly different. I mean one that just springs to my mind and, and I never sort of fail to be surprised by him in a in a sort of physically staggering sense is Vardy. Like I just don't know how he maintains the levels that he does and he never gets injured. Like we talk about sports science a lot with Liverpool, but he is—he's fit, he's sharp, he's—he's he's ruthlessly sort of efficient in the box, and he just looks like he's not stopping. A player like that for me to go another year at the age he has, at the level he has, I think he's—I think he's a—he's a modern day phenomenon in many senses. Yeah, every single season, I always think it's going to be the one where Vardy drops off and he loses his pace and, and stops scoring at the rate he does. And I know his numbers have been a bit inflated by penalties this season. I think he's got four or five of his goals in the league have been from the spot. So that papers over it a little bit. But yeah, you're right in terms of his kind of just relentlessness and his continuity is is staggering. Um, in terms of ones who surprised me, one who I found massively underwhelming, I suppose not just his calendar year, but the whole of last season and so far this season, um, is Bernardo Silva. Um, 
I'm not quite sure what the kind of reasoning is behind it, but I just remember I watched, well, obviously watched pretty much all of the City games over the last couple of seasons because they've been so kind of tight with Liverpool. Um, and yeah, I remember just him in 18-19 with De Bruyne out for so much of that season. For me, he was City's kind of defining force um, for a lot of that season, really. He was the one who was dragging them over the line in games when they weren't playing well. Him and Sterling together, really. I would have had Bernardo right up there alongside Van Dijk in the, the player of the year conversation. And it just feels like since last season, especially this calendar year, he's just gone completely off the radar. Um, it's not like he's not playing. I mean, he's not starting quite as much as he used to, but when he is on the pitch, he just looks so much less effective, um, which has been a strange one. Uh, in terms of the other direction, in terms of players who've, who've pleasantly surprised me, um, one is Zuma, um, mostly so far this season, I think, Um He's another one. I was just having a look before we started here. Chelsea signed him in this January. It'll be seven years since he joined Chelsea. He's obviously had the loan spells at Stoke and Everton in that time. And at one point, just looked like he was never really going to cut it at that level. And I think if you were going to draw up a, a Premier League team of the season so far, I think he'd be probably nailed on as one of the centre-backs. He's scored four goals in 10 games. But, you know, Chelsea have had the best defence of the league so far this season. Most clean sheets, I think they've conceded a few as goals and he's been pretty much an ever-present in all of that. So, yeah, he's been one who's sort of emerged really in the second half of this year. Chris, how about you? I think Bruno's up there, isn't he? I don't think you can yeah. take it away. I know there's a bit of a, a, a trope around him that he only scores penalties, but he doesn't. He's a much more rounded player. He reminds me a little bit, albeit a different kind of age category, of what Coutinho was for Liverpool. Um, I'd, I'd be worried. It's weird. I'd, I'd be worried for them. I mean, I'm not worried about them. Obviously, they can they can do what they like. But um, when it comes to to, to Fernandez, you, you you just think a he's good enough that you become over reliant on him. But b at the same time, there's probably a lot of good jigsaw pieces there which would not necessarily get used in the same way if Bruno's on the field. So it becomes this this situation where you, you've got to play Bruno and you've got to play play through Bruno because he's so good at what he does. But at the same time, are you marginalising the likes of Rashford, Greenwood? Martial's looked absolutely terrible this season by all accounts. Uh, we know that Pogba's obviously on his way out, but he's also taken that mantle from Pogba. You know, is it is it essentially a Bruno or nothing scenario? And Liverpool's didn't find themselves in that position necessarily with, with Coutinho, but it was a, a similar sort of vibe where, you know, it was the Fab Four for, for a fleeting four or five months. And I think Klopp basically realised that as good as Coutinho is, the, and, and probably that he was probably the most gifted individual player in terms of technique, flair, that kind of thing. That would obviously be open for debate, but even though he was Liverpool's best player, Liverpool will function better without him as a team. They sort of had their use out of them as this this focal point of what they do going forward. I think United are in that stage at the moment whereby they have to play through Bruno. I think he's a really he's a fantastic footballer. Um, obviously a set piece specialist as well. Really important to them. Every time he's not been on the pitch, they, they just look completely devoid of inspiration and ideas. But at the same time, eventually there might become the tipping point where the two reliance on them or they're still playing through them when they've got a lot more to offer. So Bruno there at the moment, but sort of with a, a bit of a caveat. Uh, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? As you say, Aubameyang would have been banged up there, I think, but he's been absolutely nowhere this season. I think Mikel Artes has um, 
Mikel Arteta's tactics don't really help him in that way. I think you're looking towards, uh, to be honest, I mean, from a Liverpool perspective, I mean, we don't want to sort of dick out what, what goes these uh, nominated and obviously what we all nominated as a, as, a, as a network. But I think you can look at the likes of Fabinho. I think you can look at Trent. I think you can look at Andy Robertson. And you could say, well, you know, ultimately, do, do they deserve to be in there? Um so I think there's, I think there was interesting when we released the full results. I think it'll be quite interesting to see there were, there were certain players. I mean, Raheem Sterling got very few votes, really. Mm. Um, you know what type of years he had, and, and because of the situation that we've all discussed of, of 2020 being what it's like, I couldn't tell you how Raheem Sterling's done this year. I know he's not really doing very well at the moment, but it, it feels so long ago now, the January and February of last year, and I think also. From a Liverpool angle, I think we were so focused on what Liverpool were doing in January, February, March particularly. I think we were so obsessed with the idea of winning the league title, of you know potentially going unbeaten, but but basically of of, of what is going down as one of the greatest league seasons of our of our life of our lifetimes and in, in the club's history. I think we sort of after you know a couple of years of obsession over what Man City were doing and obsession over what other teams were doing kind of just enjoyed the moments of what Liverpool were doing. Um, so, it's, it, you know, I couldn't really tell you what, what Sterling or any of the City players were doing in January, February, March, because it was so long ago. And and it, why, why why were you bothering looking and, and, and detailing what City were doing in February when Liverpool are, you know, beating Manchester United 2-0 to go 25 points clear? So, yeah, it's, 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 it's a really difficult one when you look at, like, City players and, and Chelsea players because I think they, they've undergone a really strange year, to be honest. No, I completely agree, and I, th- I think on Fernandez, I think he, I think he'll end up being a player whose own trajectory reflects Man United, and I mean that completely in the sense of the next manager. So he's, he's got sort of a, an Ericsson Tottenham aura about him that if they get the next manager right, he'll probably go up another level and he'll sort of reflect their rise, which will be inevitable. But if they don't, I think he'll stagnate massively. Um, just to to move it on to Gorsty's choices, then Paul Gorst, the Liverpool Echo correspondent for the club. Um, he has chosen uh, Van Dijk, Salah, Henson and Mane. And as Chris says, a lot of the, the journalists given the, the vote on this did also plump for those Liverpool players. I mean, Joel, it's some accolade considering who misses out. And again, it's probably a reminder of just how sort of good, in-depth, how full of leaders, how full of winners this Liverpool side is when you look at something like this and consider who could have been on there and who isn't. Yeah, when I saw the four, I mean, this might be a controversial thing to say. I'd be interested what you guys think. I think Van Dijk is a little bit lucky to be on that. Yeah, same here. Um, obviously, no reflection of him as a player. He's the best centre-back in the world. That's not in any doubt. I just think you look at his calendar year, he's obviously important in the first couple of months, January, February... Um, but then Liverpool stop keeping clean sheets, start losing a few games, conceding regularly. Um, he doesn't really have a great project restart. There's the Arsenal away game when he makes the mistake. Um, there's a mistake in the opening game of this season against Leeds. Um, sounds like I'm digging him out here. I just no, think... he's play- he genuinely plays in first gear in project restart. Yeah, I just don't think we've quite seen the best of him. And obviously the injury thing at Everton is awful and... We don't know how he would have performed since then. Um, so I think he was a little bit fortunate. I probably would have had one of the fullbacks in there. I think Robertson, actually, I would have had this calendar year. I think he's been absolutely outstanding. I actually would say he's been Liverpool's best player so far this season. Yeah. Um, there's actually 
it gets forgotten again because the games didn't mean that much. But I think he ended last season after Project Restart. I think he got like five or six assists in the last six games. He was basically contributing to a goal a game from left back. Um, and he gets the goal, the brilliant header against Burnley in the game that they draw at Anfield. There's the goal against Arsenal this season. Um, and yeah, I just think for consistency, the amount of time he spent on the pitch and just driving Liverpool forward constantly, he's a little bit unfortunate to not get in there. Um, but there's other guys we've, we've not even mentioned, Wijnaldum being one, I'm sure we'll come on to, but it was it's funny how the kind of perception has shifted around him since the summer, because I think a lot of us got so excited by the whole Thiago possibility in the summer that we kind of were guilty of overlooking just how important Wijnaldum was. Um and thank God he didn't go because I don't know where Liverpool would be this season without him. He's played basically every game. I think he's actually taken his game up a level compared to where he was last season. Um, he's really had to step up and yeah, he's just, he's perennially a difficult player to define. I think he's one that most Liverpool fans, I don't think you could say he's underappreciated in the Liverpool bubble now, but certainly externally, I think people looking in who can't quite they look at his goals and assist record and, He's probably not even that high on tackles or interceptions or anything. So there's not that much kind of stats-based evidence to back up why he is so good. Um, but when you look at the results Liverpool put together and how many minutes he's on the pitch and you actually focus on what he's doing in games, I think he's another one who you could quite easily put in that conversation as well. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think I think the fact that there's no arguments around Mane and Salah because it's just is another example of their levels. You know, we, we just debated for for the best part of 20 minutes, Harry Kane, Son, Aubameyang, Rashford, and you can have genuine debates about them. But the fact that Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane are included and in many ways a given is just a reminder of what Liverpool have got on their hands. Liverpool Liverpool have two of three of, two of five of, of the elite strikers in Europe on their hands still, and they have done for the last sort of Two and a half seasons. Yeah, I was. I took a couple of minutes out before recording this pod. I was watching uh, BT Sports. Did a nice little montage of Mo Salah's uh, twenty-two European goals for Liverpool, and it's just it's just ridiculous. It's you, you just forget how many how many goals he scores, the volume of them, the type of them, the the importance of them, um, the audacity of some of them. He's uh, he, he didn't make my top five actually, and and. I think that's almost testament to how how accepted his his brilliance is now. But he almost has to be a level above what we 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 assume is his level of brilliance to sort of register on my on my radar. Um, you know, it, it, it's wild because I think at the start of the season we we did our predictions for for Liverpool.com, and I think I shouted up. I think Mo Salah was going to have a seventeen eighteen type of season again. Not sure he's quite there yet. Um, and he's, he's actually had a bit of a stop start a couple of weeks because of the uh, COVID test, etc. But, um, you know, he, he certainly, you know, he's, he's among the top scorers in the Premier League. He's he's averaging, I think, a goal involvement every single game. He's he's simply one of the best players in the world. And, and the fact that he didn't make my top five is, isn't is a negative against him. I think it's just because I've just become so used to him being fantastic that if he's not above an eight if, he, if he's not above an eight out of ten he's not really sort of registering in terms of Mane yeah absolutely and and again it's this type of thing where we go back to 
the, the, the year almost being in three parts because I think if you look at Sadio Mane January to March, I think there's absolutely zero debate that he is the player of the year. I think he's he's both both in terms of the, the award that the Premier League dish out um, and in terms of our football of the year award that we're uh, bringing in. So he does all right in Project Restarts and he's he's done all right this, this season. Um, but overall, he's just absolutely a ludicrous footballer who even when he's having a quiet game, even when he's having a, what we would class by his standards a poor game, He's still offering himself. He's still giving an outlet. He's still carrying the ball up the pitch. Him at four out of ten is more important to Liverpool than a lot of players at seven or eight out of ten. Mm. And I think that's another mark of a really good player. With the greatest respect to somebody like Divock Origi or you know Taki Minamino, I feel like even if they are playing to their seven or eight, their skill set and their ability is is unmatched by Sadio Mane, who even when he's miscontrolling balls or he's not quite getting into the game, he'll just pick up the ball in his own half once or twice, drive forward, play one-two with Andy Robertson, and it just gets Liverpool up the pitch. It relieves pressure, creates a chance. It does something really positive. And I think that's that's the thing about Sadio Mane, even when he's not playing very well, or certainly as well as he can do, he offers moments and and, he, and he's not necessarily somebody who'll who'll grind for 90 minutes, but he'll do something to at either end of the pitch that really helps Liverpool. Um so yeah, I, you know, the, the, there are very few players like that in the world and, and Sadio Mane is one of them. Um so yeah, the, both of them are, are really deserving in terms of their, their nominations. And um yeah, I think it'll be quite a tight race to be honest. I fully agree with with Joel, Chris, on on Robertson. I think I think the difference as well between him and Trent is that you're now seeing a player in his peak. And I think hopefully, you know, sort of how physically well he reacts to the conditioning set by this Liverpool team, by the sports science, that that peak will last for quite a while. But he's, for me, he's the best left-back Liverpool I've had in 30 years. You can go further. I think you can go further. Um... I mean, I think Steve Nichol is criminally over underrated um so i think there's, there's a genuine debate there um but i, I think sort of 100 post 1990 the, the best left back liverpool have had yeah and it's always been a problem position for liverpool and the fact that yeah. they've solved it in the way that they've solved it is i think he's one of the best left backs in the world if not the best left back in the world and I, I, there'll always be more fashionable shouts you know there'll always be the next big thing coming through um but I, but I genuinely feel, you know, Andy Robertson is, is definitely up there. I think what the, the durability of him, I think the, I think what he's underrated for as well. You know, I think we get into this. I think a, a lot a lot of clubs do this. A lot of fans of a lot of clubs, you get sometimes too focused on the personality of a player in a good way, not just a bad way, but in a good way. So they become labelled as, you know, and I've just done it there. Somebody who gives it his all, one hundred percent goes yeah. into tackles. He's actually a really good footballer. He's yeah, he's, yeah. he's really he's, he, he, he carries out what Jurgen Klopp needs from his left back to an absolute tee. He's got a brilliant delivery on him. He's he, he, When he gets his head up, he can really pick out a pass. The way he goes past players sometimes on the turn is is absolutely fantastic. He'd done it in a recent game and he set up a goal. I think it was I think it was Brighton. So it's also for the pre-assist, yeah, if you yeah. will, where yeah, he, he, just, he just glides past somebody, leaves them sprawled, Pops it to Salah, pops it to uh, Diogo Hotter, and then it goes in. Um, he's 
I think the peak is is an interesting one because he's twenty six now. Um, yeah. he's twenty six. I think he's definitely got another three or four years at the top top level that he's got, which is really exciting, and it, it all goes well for Trent. I think what we're seeing from from Andy Robertson as well is a is a player who. I think he knows the importance that he has in that team now, especially when Trent was out. I think he realised that it is really all down to me to create. If we're going to be doing this through our fullbacks, you know, with the greatest respect to the world, to Nico Williams, still a young player, still developing, still learning, yeah. still very safe on the ball. Um, Ajax are home aside. So I think he realises and I think he relishes that opportunity. I think he really enjoys the responsibility to sort of, you know, Trent gets his first share when he's on the pitch, but if it's all going through Andy Robertson, it's down to him. I think he really enjoys that. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's I think he's really unfortunate. But again, he's I wouldn't say he's an unfashionable name. I think he's somebody that you know Liverpool fans love. I think they adore, they respect them. But I do feel like his contribution, both defensively and attacking wise, probably goes under the radar. He's you know he clears that ball from under the bar against. Um, was a, I can't I can't quite remember which game it was. It might have been Brighton. And okay, I know he gives away the penalty. You can argue if it was a penalty or not, but he's really good at those last ditch tackles as well. Those ones to Cristiano Ronaldo in, in Kiev in the final, which goes down. Um, you know, it it will never be remembered because it's three one and Liverpool lose the final. But you know, that's the type of player that he is. Um, not only is he sort of hundred percent half, but he's actually really intelligent to boot, and he's he's got a lot more than his locker. Why, why I say peak is because I think it's a real moment in time thing. I think you've got a team that could not be suited better to Andy Robertson in terms of how he plays. And I think sort of in four years' time when he is 30 and when Jürgen Klopp leaves Liverpool, I think that will be sort of that opportunity then gone. And I think he'll have, he'll have grasped the opportunity massively and that will be his moment. But I think the, the peak Robertson years happen in a Klopp team is my point. I think I think you stick him in any other side in the league and you don't get half as much from him. But I think you're completely right. The, the, some of the skills that we sometimes label as, as sort of modest working class, you know, Scottish grit, if you like, are actually really into the progression, progression ball carries and, you know, sort of transitions that Liverpool need and turnovers of play and stuff like that. He's he's consummate. He, is, he, he really is. Um, Joel, I want to ask you, 2021, before we sort of move it on, um, a little prediction of who comes to the fore. Firstly, in Liverpool colours um, for next season, give us a little prediction. Who are you thinking? Day out of Pamacano, Erlinger Haaland when they sign this January? What's your thoughts? I'm just going to say a continuation of Curtis Jones, really, who's been kind of one of the stories of the year. Um, yeah, of all the kind of consequences of Liverpool's injury crisis, which we all would have rather done without. I think he's been one of the real beneficiaries. We saw, obviously, his goal against Everton in the FA Cup right at the start of the year, which doesn't feel like it was his calendar year, but it was back in January. Um, and I think looking at pro the progression of him from then to now, he's a completely different kind of footballer now. Much more technically disciplined, knows his place within the system, and he's still obviously got that individual flair and a technique. He hasn't lost any of that, but he's learning to apply it in the way that Liverpool need him to play in that midfield role. Um, and yeah, I don't think he would have got all the game time, but he definitely wouldn't have got the game time if the likes of Thiago and Cater and stuff and Oxlade-Chamberlain hadn't been injured so much. Um, mm. But he's really stepped up and he looks 
yeah, Klopp said it himself recently that he looks like he's been playing for us for about 10 years. And I think we forget because he came into the Liverpool first team setup so early. He was in pre-season uh, two or three years ago now. So we, we've known about him for a while, but he's still only 19, which is just, just ludicrous when you look at the level he's performing at and how complex that role is. You know, we see much more experienced players struggle to do it and he makes it look so natural. And yeah, just to think where he could be in a year's time. Um, not entirely sure because there's a lot of competition, but I wouldn't write him off making a late shout for the England Euro squad if he keeps it up and keeps playing regularly um, at this level. So yeah, he, he's my shout for uh, next season. In terms of Premier League wise, um, to be honest, I haven't thought about it yet. I'd be interested to see what you guys have got. Um, I, I'd, I'd keep an eye on Ben Chilwell, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think I he's, like him. he's becoming really effective for Chelsea and I think we know the the importance of fullbacks in the modern game. I don't think this is any more a conversation around sort of attacking players who sort of get all the headlines and goals. I think I think he's again like Robertson, he's playing in a side that massively shoots him. He's playing in a system that is James as well on the other side. Flourish. Yeah, 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 really do. Um from a Liverpool perspective, I think twenty twenty one, Chris, is the year of, of the trend. Um I think he just goes up to another level. And I think that we're sort of having... I think I think come next year, all being well, touch wood, in terms of trajectory and injuries and stuff, I think we're having the conversation of, of sort of Steven Gerrard levels of influence for the club. It's an interesting one. I think um, he starts this season, Trent, a little bit a little bit different and I'd, I'd be really interested in, 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 a, in a bit of a deep dive to be honest in terms of because it felt like he was he was pretty much becoming a bit of a central midfielder right back now he's been doing that a little bit anyway but it felt like his game had matured it wasn't and I'm not just saying this game has been always about this but it wasn't whipping balls into the box to for the glance and header from Salah Mane for me you know he's obviously a lot more than that anyway but it felt like he was really involving himself in, a, in more central positions I'd be really interested I think it's sort of reversed back to the very high standards of 1920 trend to be honest because mm. i think that's the necessity um i'm interested to see what happens with trends when if tiago comes in um because obviously tiago is going to be somebody who the ball is going to go through a, a hell of a lot he's going to be one of the chief creators how do we sort of manage to marry that up with having these two fullbacks I'm not saying that he'll necessarily take away any of, of of Trent's creativity. I think, in fact, he might sort of add to it. We saw in the in, in the derby, for example, the amount of times Thiago was finding Trent out wide, and the amount of times he was finding Robertson on the other side as well. I feel it's going to be interesting to see how Trent develops in terms of will he become a bit more rounded in terms of basically this set this guy who could he he won't play central midfield in the formation at the start of the game on Sky Sports, but essentially he is doing his job as a as a central midfielder, which he's, he's sort of been doing already. Um, because if you look at how Liverpool line up, sometimes you pretty much might as well put Trent in centre-mid and Henderson at, at right-back. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the way it works a lot of the time anyway. Just really interested to see how he develops that almost midfield side of his game now. Um, but it's, it's going to be really, really exciting. I don't want him to start in central midfield but I think we will sort of see a natural progression where he's picking up positions centrally a lot more. And I think that will lend to what you say there, Dan, about the, the comparisons with Dan, Gerard. The, um, sorry, Chris. No worries. No, just while we're on the, the fullback discussion, but definitely right backs, 
the one that just popped in my head there I meant to mention earlier was uh, Lamptey from Brighton. Um, another one who just, I think most of us have barely even heard of at the start of a year. Um, he joined from Chelsea in January, I think, and barely barely even got in the team. I don't know if he was injured or just wasn't getting picked, but then pro- post-project restart has been kind of a constant. And I think so far this season is uh, a pretty strong case. He's kind of in the team of the year conversation, given kind of Trent's been kind of in and out with injury and, and stuff and his form's not quite been at his best. Um, I'm not sure what you do with him unless you play a five. Lampty. Yeah, mm. yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what you do. I don't think you... I think you're brave if you're picking him in a back four. Is my is my thing. Um, but yeah, I, I completely get the shout. He's, you know, he has been a revelation down there for Brighton. I think on uh, on Curtis Jones, by the way, I I don't know if you guys agree with me, but I'd have no problem Curtis Jones starting the Champions League final. No, not at all. Feel, which is absolutely wild, and it's a very similar situation that we had when you think about it. Trent was the same age when he started the Champions League final against uh, against Real Madrid and Kiev, mm-hmm. and to be at that level at the age of 19 where you would feel absolutely fine with him playing in a central midfield against Bayern Munich is some place to be. I'd, I'd pick him over Mabi Keiser, for example. I feel like what we're getting with Keiser is, I think Klopp's being really clever. Everybody's expecting him to be this Steven Gerrard clone, essentially, of, of, of bursting through. And I do think he's got that to his game. I think he picks up spaces in the box really interestingly. I think he's almost got that deal. I can't believe I'm going to bring him up on a, on a Liverpool.com podcast. He's got that Tim Cahill sort of quality of ghosting in and nobody quite knowing, which is really impressive because he's a big kid. You know what I mean? He's a really big lad compared to five foot two Tim Cahill. But um, like everybody sort of expecting this Steven Gerrard clone. I think he's because he's turned the more into like a bit of a, a wine album, mm. where he's just that he's just he's and this isn't a negative. He's just grinding. He's just getting on the ball. He's popping it off. He's he's covered on the ground. He's picking up spaces, you know, in, in left, right, and I think he's just. I think everybody sort of thought he would be this this lad who after the the the, the Everton goal, rasping in for 25, 30 yarders and, and and sort of getting booked every game and being raw and ready and that kind of thing. I think he's actually a really mature, really good Wayne Alden understudy at the minute, and that's a really good yeah. place to be. I spoke about him getting in because of the injuries, but it gets forgotten now. He's, I think he's the first sub against Leeds on the opening day. I don't know if it was two all at that point of the game or Liverpool needed a goal. Um, but I remember just being a little bit surprised by that. You know, Klopp had obviously seen enough since Project Restart and over pre-season, but it was a big call because I think Milner was on the bench that day. There were loads of other more senior options and Curtis is his first change and that's before the injuries kicked in. So the, the coaching staff has definitely seen something to think that he's he's taken a massive leap forward. I always say what impresses me most about him is something that other people might think is a criticism in that for a young lad, he doesn't bust the gut to try and impress He's not. He's not absolutely blowing himself out in sixty minutes to try and to try and show people that he's he's worthy of a Liverpool shirt. He does everything on his own terms over a football pitch. If you've got that, I think that's why Klopp loves him because I think he just he, he loves his confidence and he loves his self belief and he thinks the rest we can just coach into him. He's got the ability. He's got the belief. The rest's easy. I think he'd he, he'd much rather that than someone who isn't sure of themselves in a Liverpool shirt. And I think to have that at his age, I think it's going to get him get him incredibly far as a Liverpool player. Completely agree. In terms of, 
Oh, sorry, on. I was just going to say a couple of Premier League players. Um, I think Basuma is one to watch at Brighton. Mm. I think he's one to watch from a Liverpool perspective. I think That's if happy. Liverpool uh, will need to, funny enough, we're talking about Jones there, he's 19, but Liverpool will need to not revamp the midfield, but they'll need to freshen it up at some point. Henderson's over 30, Wijnaldum is over 30 and, and probably even at the end of the season. Milner's 34, 35. Oxlade is 27, 28 going into it, I think. And he's obviously had a couple of big injuries. Maybe Cater's 25 now. I'm not saying that's old, but and still there's a bit of uncertainty around them. They lost Lalana. I think Fabinho could end up being a centre-back. I think midfielder somewhere, and I think Basuma is a really interesting, progressive, modern midfielder. I think he carries the yeah. ball well. He gets up and down the pitch really well. I think he's got really good technique on the ball. Uh, I think from the little glimpses I've seen from, from Brighton this season, I think he's someone that, that really, really excites me. Uh, and the only other one that I've seen like little sorts of flashes of... Um, and it might even be 2021, but the, the, the lad of Southampton, uh, Gineppo, I think he could be something as well. I think he's a really interesting player. He plays out wide. Uh, he's under Hassan Hootle, so he'll start really kind of pressing from the uh, from the front, I imagine. He'll get that locked down. I think he's one to keep an eye on. Um, in, in the Because Walcott, for example, um, Stuart Armstrong, players like that, they're absolutely fine. But I think this lad, he's, I think he's 20. Um, and I think there's something about him. All right, we'll leave it there. That's been the Liverpool.com podcast. Thank you very much to Christian Walsh, to Joel Rabinovitz. And like we say, if you haven't already, check out Player of the Year and give it a vote. You can find links to it on the Daily Mirror, Liverpool.com and Liverpool Echo platforms. Um, it's got its own URL, Dan. Go on, Chris. www.fansfootballerofthe.co.uk There you go. Go straight to it. Cut the middleman out. Um, thank you very much to the guys and we'll see you again soon. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.